there. And so guide and direct our steps tonight as we take an opportunity to look at uh, something that I believe in the day we live is a very, very important issue. And so, Father, help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles tonight, if you will. Turn to Matthew chapter number 24. Matthew chapter number 24. I uh, I did a series uh, about I want to say probably close to a year ago maybe maybe eight or nine months ago somewhere in that range on uh, on the word of faith uh, movement that's going on around our country today and uh, sadly it's amazing to me how many times um, people that know God's word that are in in solid Bible teaching Bible preaching churches will come and have questions uh, about some things. And I want to spend some time dealing with the subject tonight because I've had a number of instances in the last probably 60 days or so, I would say probably close to a half a dozen or so, that uh, people that really probably should know these things from Scripture but uh, have come and questioned and asked, Pastor, what do you think about this? And, um, and it is a, an issue that I did deal with several months ago. But, uh, you know, Peter said that there was a need sometimes to uh, stir up our, our minds by way of remembrance. And uh, somebody said years ago that repetition is the key to learning. And uh, did you all know that, that repetition is the key to learning? They said that. They said that phrase, repetition is the key to learning. And... Uh, uh, Sometimes we need to be reminded. I, uh, <laughs> I know this isn't funny, but it's. I have to chuckle to keep from crying, I think, as a pastor sometimes. Uh, it's amazing how many times uh, after uh, either on a Sunday, because we've had three messages, usually that's the, the worst time. Uh, I, I've had people on Monday say, Pastor, I really enjoyed that message Sunday. And I'd ask them a question about it, and they couldn't remember what it was, <laughs> but they really enjoyed the message. And uh, uh, I will say this, we're prone to forget, aren't we? And um, so I want to look at an issue tonight that is a, it, it is a very important issue. Uh, and I'm going to ask, if you will, to, to look at it graciously with me. I am not here to attack people. I am not. I am not here to... Um, uh, I, I want to make sure that God's people know the truth of God's Word and that we are not deceived by what the Bible refers to as false teachers and men that would lead us astray. So I want us to look at a verse of Scripture here just by way of uh, getting launched into it. In, in Matthew chapter 24, look with me if you want verse number 23. And Jesus is speaking here. He says, uh, then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall so show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And uh, we know that this is in reference to the uh, tribulation time, and, and Christ is speaking here of end-time events. But we find that there's a warning here to watch out for those that would be false prophets. According to Scripture, a false prophet is somebody who prophesies something and it doesn't come to pass. And uh, over and over again, you'll find warnings from the apostles that we need to be careful uh, of uh, those that are ravening wolves, those that come uh, as uh, false prophets, they come to... Uh, devour the people of God, and uh, they come with um, a different message. Uh, in fact, there's warning after warning in Scripture. Um, I think it was Paul said in Galatians, I believe it's chapter number 1, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel than that which is preached, let him be accursed. And uh, if you saw some being that told you something other than what the Bible says, even if you had the vision, uh, you're not to trust them because it's contrary to the Bible. That's what Paul said about it. Um, and so I want us to understand something that, and I'm going to lay a little bit of foundation here, and so bear with me if you will. Uh, there, is, there are two, two, two things that 
we need to understand. One is what revelation is. And I'm not talking about the book that we just studied. But what revelation is and what uh, illumination is. Uh, revelation is when God um, gives some new truth that is not previously given in Scripture. That would be called revelation. Uh, we know from Scripture that all the revelation that God intends to give to man uh, has been given. There is no new revelation given. Um, illumination uh, is something that ought to be happening, and that is the Holy Spirit of God helping us to have understanding of the truth of His Word. That certainly should be happening, and, and I believe that the Holy Spirit of God does give uh, light and understanding to the things of Scripture. Prior to the last of the apostles dying, which was John, uh, he was the last one to die. He wrote the book of Revelation. He's the one that at the end of Revelation said, don't add anything to it, don't take anything from it, we're done. This is it, period. And God used the very last apostle, very last writing of Revelation, said this is it, there is no new revelation. Prior to that, there was not a complete revelation. And so God would speak to men uh, in different ways. Sometimes He would personally come and visit them. Those are called theophanies. That's a big word. In the Old Testament, there were times that veiled in a flesh form that God would appear to people in the Old Testament and give them directly a message. God appeared to Abraham. God appeared to uh, Jacob when he wrestled with him. And uh, when he was done, Jacob said, I've seen God face to face. Well, uh, they, he didn't see him uh, in his in his spirit because the Bible says God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. But he veiled himself in flesh, and Jacob did see him uh, in that fleshly form. Uh, so sometimes God directly came. There are sometimes God spoke but was not seen. Uh, when Samuel was taught taught in uh, uh, the Old Testament, uh, when he was called to ministry uh, in the temple, God spoke to Samuel. He didn't see him. But the voice came out of heaven, and he heard him. Uh, there are a few times in Scripture where a vision uh, was used. The Apostle Paul had a vision on the road to Damascus. Uh, we're going to look at a passage here where he talks about a vision that he had. And then also, uh, I believe, John. The Bible speaks of the fact that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and that he was called up to the, the heavens, and that's where God gave him revelation. Um, and uh, understand that uh, once the revelation was completed that he wanted us to have, we don't have visions anymore. Uh, these were things that ended with the apostles. Uh, I am what is called a cessationist. I do not believe that the gifts of the apostles uh, are extended to the churches today and to the people that are uh, Christians today. Um, in fact, so much so that even the gift of healing which Paul did have early in his ministry, by the time he got towards the end of his ministry, he did not have that gift any longer. God had taken it from him. Others of his fellow laborers that were sick and even unto the point of death had to remain sick. He could not heal them any longer. The gift had gone away. And so we find that there were certain things that did take place in old times and up until the time of the completion of Scripture. But once that revelation was done, that, that does not happen any longer. We don't have voices from God. I, I cringe sometimes when, uh, and I know what we mean when we say it, but I hear some people say, well, God told me, Pastor, God told me something, and they're not quoting Scripture. Now, what we normally mean when we use that phrase is, uh, I was reading Scripture, a thought came to me, and I had great peace about it, and I felt like that's what God wanted me to do. It wasn't an audible voice of God. It wasn't God saying, God doesn't speak that way anymore. God guides us through His Word. That's what He's given us. There are no prophets today. We have one prophet, and it is this book right here. It gives us all of the prophecy that God intends for us to have. And uh, no more prophets than, uh, than that. Um, we have no more apostles today. Paul was the, the latest one that was called. John was the one that was the last one still living. Um, we have no more apostles today. Apostles had to see the Lord Jesus Christ in His, in his earthly ministry. 
They had to see him uh, by sight with their own eyes and the resurrected Christ. And so uh, we find that uh, there are certain things that did happen. I'm not going to say they did not happen, but they do not happen any longer. That is important for us to note. Um, There are a number of people, and I've had to deal with some folks recently who have lost loved ones or they're about to lose some loved ones. And they ask me about things that are seen by their loved ones. I have gone through the deaths of many, many folks. I have lost my father. I've lost my grandmother, sat at both of their bedsides for months, holding their hands and uh, wetting their brow and trying to comfort them as they went through an extended uh, time of declining. I remember my dad seeing a woman in a red and white polka dot dress in the corner of the room that was not there. That does not mean that he went to heaven and saw a woman in a red and white polka dot dress. I remember him talking about saber-toothed tigers. That does not mean that he saw a vision of heaven and there were saber-toothed tigers there. I believe that they do see some things. I think their minds see that. There are some times that physically... The, the mind, through medication or through physical disability, can see things. Uh, I have no doubt of that. And I think that we need to understand that those are physical uh, things that take place. I believe that some people believe they see things or they have a dream about something and they believe it to be a vision because they want the comfort that it brings. I've had uh, folks say, well, I, uh, my loved one passed away and they appeared to me in a dream two weeks later. Well, Our minds are focused on that, are we not? We're grieving on that. That's just a dream. That's not a vision. And uh, and we do so for comfort. Uh, Can I tell you this? Um, Comfort doesn't come from visions. Comfort comes from God's Word. In fact, Paul uh, spoke in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when he spoke of end-time events. He gets done telling us about heaven and what's going to happen. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says, Wherefore, comfort one another with Visions? Is that what he says? No, he says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Scripture is our comfort. It is our guide. Uh, so we've got to be careful of things like that. There are some people who, uh, who just because of the nature of their medical condition, they're going to see some things. Uh, that does not mean that they're heavenly. Uh, there are some people who, uh, for the sake of comfort, will hold to a dream that they've had. That does not mean that they saw a vision. Doesn't mean that they didn't dream it. Just means that it was not a vision. It was just something that their mind did in the natural course of sleeping. There are some people who are dishonest and will claim that they've been there and uh, have come back from heaven. There are books written. There are movies that have been put out. Uh, they do so for the sake of money. Number one, that's their first motivating factor. And we'll talk about one of those situations tonight. There's another one. Uh, that motivates them, and that is they want the, the notoriety or the special way that it makes them feel, that others look to them as some super or hyper-spiritual person who has had this experience. And they crave that attention and that uh, mindset of people. Now, they get this uh, oftentimes from obscure passages or even pretty, pretty uh, popular passages of Scripture that we see. Let's look at one of those that I think uh, oftentimes is uh, the thing that a lot of these guys that do this and write these books and uh, produce these movies, uh, they, they point to. Let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And let's, we're going to start reading. Um, well, hang on a second, my pages here stuck together. Chapter number one. I want you to notice in this first verse, and I want you to keep in mind what the first verse says, because we're going to come back to it here in a minute. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I want to start with that. Paul said, "It is not expedient." It is of no good use. It is not giving me the home field advantage, if you will, in the Christian life. This does not make me more special than anyone else. 
He says, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, prior to this portion of Scripture, Paul had been questioned about his apostleship. The people were doubting whether or not, you know, this is a man who used to murder, arrest and, and, and see to the murdering of Christians and the jailing, the beating, persecution of Christians, and now he's out here preaching the gospel. You can imagine there's a few people out there saying, what are you doing, Paul? I don't think you're really this. I don't think you're genuine. You know, you're probably doing this to trick us undercover to get it. You know, I imagine there was a lot of that. Paul takes chapter number 11, and he, he let's look just for a moment, and look in verse number 23. Uh, actually, let's back up. Uh, let's go back to verse number uh, 21. Verse number 21 of chapter 11, he says, I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak, howbeit whereinsoever is and is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? Speaking of uh, people that have uh, been preachers of the gospel. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck a night a day and a day in the deep. I have been in the deep, in journeyings, often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of heathen, uh, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Can you get the idea here? Paul's been in peril. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak? I am not weak. Who is offended? I and I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth, not, knoweth I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept this city of Damascus, uh, with, uh, of the Damascus with a garrison, desires to apprehend me through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. You say, why did he go through that whole list? Because understand this, that the truth that Paul was preaching was being questioned. Can you imagine a man who in, was intent on trying to be deceitful and tell a lie, going through all of this and still holding to his lie? There's not a man alive that would have done that. Therefore, he, he uses this as a basis that, hey, my message is right. If I tell you that I am called as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can rest assured I'm not going to lie about it because I've been willing to go through all of this to make sure that I tell you the truth. There's a lot of things that men will go through for the truth that they are not willing to go through for a lie. One of the great testaments of the truth, of the eyewitness account of the twelve apostles, was that all save one were martyred, and even that one was attempted to be martyred. And they did not recant their story of the Lord Jesus Christ to the point of torture and to the point of death. That stands stark in the eyes of history as a overwhelming witness to the truth of what they wrote about in Scripture. Men will oftentimes endure such tragedy for the truth that they are not willing to endure for a lie. Paul gives all of these things that were outward, and then he says, now if that's not enough to convince you, that's where we're at now in chapter 12, verse 1. Let's look what he says here. He says, now I'm going to go to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up unto the, uh, up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise, and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now I want to stop there for a moment, and this is a passage that a lot of these guys that, that teach this, uh, 
I went to heaven and came back kind of thing. This is the passage oftentimes they go to. I want to note a couple things about this story that, uh, this, this, this account that I do not see in the accounts that are given today. Number one, I want you to notice the humility of the Apostle Paul. Paul speaks of this man in the third person, but who, who really went there? He did, didn't he? It was him that he's speaking of here. He would not even so much as say that it was me. Because what he saw brought such reproach and humiliation to him in the sense of he stood before a holy God or saw a holy God. I want you to notice also that not only is there a sense of uh, humility here, but the whole purpose he even tells the story. There's only one purpose, and that was to prove his apostleship. He wasn't glorying in this. This isn't something he wrote a book and, and published and made a lot of money off of. He sewed tents. Could he have made a lot of money? Sure, it's a sensational story, isn't it? He didn't go out and make a... If they had movies back then, he didn't go out and make a movie about it. He kept it to himself. He only used it to help establish the fact that, yes, I am an apostle. This took place in my life. Now, I want you to also notice this. He does not give any description of heaven. He doesn't talk about what was there or what he saw. In fact... So much so that he says this in verse number, um, uh, verse number four. He says, How that he was caught up into paradise and heard what? Unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. He came back from this, never spoke of it. The one time he even spoke of the account was only to establish his apostleship. It's amazing the, the heavenly tourism industry, as I heard one person call it, is, is lucrative. They don't hardly get through whatever it is they've gone through before they start getting in touch with a publisher to find out what they can make on a book. Or contacting Hollywood to find out if they can get it made into a, into a movie. I'm going to give you a list of number of people who have done this, and we're going to talk about a few of them here. And uh, it is 8:05. This is probably going to be a two-part message. And if we don't get through it all tonight, please, 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 do not miss next Wednesday night. Okay? If the Lord comes between now and next Wednesday night, He'll finish teaching it to us. I'm sure we'll we'll learn a lot more from Him anyway. Jesse Duplantis uh, claimed that he went to a hotel. He, he was in the middle of preaching, and God told him to go back to his hotel. And he went back to the hotel and he began to pray and ask God what it is that he wanted. And God sent a cable car for him and took him to heaven. Uh, Robert uh, Lierden, Lierden, I think is the way you pronounce Robert Lierden, uh, has been to heaven. Don Piper, who uh, is, is a Southern Baptist, or was a Southern Baptist, uh, wrote a book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, and it became a New York Times bestseller, uh, was in a car crash and claims that he was in heaven for 90 minutes. Mary Baxter, who's been to both heaven and hell, and has written a book on each, The Divine Revelation of Heaven, The Divine Revelation of Hell. Now, why in the world God would take someone to hell that's been saved, I don't understand. We've been redeemed from that. We're not going there. Uh, but she claims that she has. Probably the most popular one, the one that people are most familiar with, was because it was um, made into a, a movie, was Colton Burpo. Uh, uh, who wrote uh, that the book uh, was written, Heaven is for Real, uh, in April of 2014. His dad, uh, Todd Burpo, he was a young kid at the time and uh, claimed that he had gone to heaven and had seen uh, a, a baby that his mother had miscarried and some other things and uh, had some uh, in input. Come to find out uh, in years later that a lot of the stuff that they claimed he had said was not actually true, that his dad had uh, filled in a lot of those gaps and uh, tried to make it a lot more sensational than what the, this boy said. And really, if you listen to the true story of what he said, it was nothing more than a child's imagination. And uh, then you have Bill Weiss. Bill Weiss didn't go to heaven. He went to hell for 23 minutes, wrote a book about it. And uh, again, I don't understand that mindset. A fellow by the name of Todd Bentley uh, uh, said that he was standing preaching. He's from Canada. He's an evangelist. He said he was standing in a pillar of fire showed up beside him, and God told him to step into the pillar of fire. And uh, he went to heaven, and the second he got to heaven, he found himself on an operating table 
with four angels around him, and they took a miter saw and cut him and put all these white boxes inside of him and sent him back to earth. Uh, we, we chuckle at this, folks. People are buying this stuff hook, line, and sinker. They're believing what's taking place. Now, there are several problems with this. I'm gonna, we're going to look at a couple things just uh, that are obvious, that are, that are, uh, that are uh, kind of common throughout all of these stories. Number one, out of all the books that I've heard of, they talk a lot about their experience. They talk about their loved ones that they've seen. They talk about uh, maybe seeing some angels. But even after all of it, there is no gospel message in the book. I mean, if you think about it, if, if we as God's people who have been told by the Bible that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, don't you think if we had a person-to-person, face-to-face with God, that He would not reiterate the fact and tell us we need to preach the gospel? And don't you think that there would probably be a gospel message somewhere in there? There is none. They don't want it in there. And then uh, there, is, uh, uh, there is no sense of, uh, of the undoneness of ourselves or the, the corruption inside of us that we sense when someone stands in the presence of a holy God. You look throughout the Scriptures, anyone that stood in the presence, Isaiah, who uh, saw the throne high and lifted up, he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I don't hear any of these guys coming back saying, Woe is me. Oh, my, am I such a sinner. Uh, oh, I'm the worst sinner that I know. You don't hear any of them saying that. You hear them gloating about how spiritual they are there because they're God's favorite, because God took them to heaven and sent them back. But that's not what we find when these things happen in Scripture. We find men that come into God's presence not even able to speak, falling to the ground. Saul fell to the ground and could not even speak on his experience on the road to Damascus. Daniel, who had an angel come to him, was felt the, the corruptness of himself, turned within himself in the presence of an angel, not even God. It's interesting how often these things happen. But some of the problems is, there's, there's, you'd think if they were all going to the same place, seeing the same thing, they would all be in agreement on what they saw, wouldn't you? Uh, John Piper, uh, uh, not John Piper, uh, Dan Piper, Don Piper, excuse me, Don Piper uh, got there and said that he, he, the angels did not have any wings. And uh, he said there, there was no age. The age was just kind of oblivious that they were all different ages. Uh, the, the Burpo kid said, oh, he saw angels with wings. They have wings, which we don't find anywhere in Scripture that the angels themselves, we know that the cherubims do and the seraphims, but uh, the common angels that are in Scriptures, we don't have indication they have wings. Uh, and he said that everybody in heaven is in their late 20s. They're all the same age. Um, Jesse DePlantis said that babies are little spirits floating around. Uh, Baxter says, no, all the, all the babies that are in heaven grow up to be adults. Jesse DePlantis said that God told him that the tears that he's going to wipe away in heaven are his tears. Not, not Jesse's, but, but God's going to wipe away his own tears. And Baxter says, no, it's the tears of people. Don't you think that if God told one, one thing, that, they, that God would agree with himself? So we, we can kind of see there's some fallacies here. Uh, the Burpo kid said on April 8, 2014, in an interview uh, by Fox News, uh, he was asked about uh, his memory of this. He said, I have a very vivid memory of the experience. That was his exact words, very vivid memory. Three weeks later, he's in another uh, interview on TBN, and uh, he was asked some specifics. And his answer was, well, and he began to stammer and stutter, he said, uh, my memory is not as crisp as, it's, as it used to be. It's hard for me to remember these things. Just three weeks apart from each other. So even sometimes their own words are con- contradicting. Uh, Piper, in his book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, uh, said that when he got to heaven, that he was at the gates. He never went inside, but the people that were responsible for him being there uh, came and met him at the gates of heaven. But then just a few months later in the 700 Club interview, he talks about going through the gates and focusing on the throne of God. He also said in, the, in his book, uh, 90 Minutes in Heaven, he said, I did not see God. There was no luminous glow that indicated His presence. That's an exact quote from his book. 
But when he was uh, several years later, I think this was seven years later, uh, he was interviewed by TBN and he said, I saw a bright light. Uh, and he said it was the mountain of the Lord, high and lifted up, and I saw him. But yet in his book he said there was no such event. I think if I went to heaven and I saw some things, I would remember very vividly what I saw. I don't think I would forget my own story. There's so many others I could give you here. And for sake of time, I want to deal with uh, not, not only are these things heretical, uh, these folks that are trying to teach this, but there are some biblical fallacies, and these are the things I want to give you tonight. If you'll bear with me for a few more minutes, we'll go, and I'll see how far I get. Uh, I won't keep you much after 9.30 or 10 o'clock, okay? <laughs> Let's look at some biblical fallacies. Can, can we see what the Bible has to say about it? Let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Every account that anybody gives... Adds to Scripture. Well, I went and this is what I saw. And they tell us things that are not found in Scripture. There's a danger to that. We call this revelation, which no longer happens. God is not giving new information about heaven. God has given us all the information about heaven that He's going to give us and there is no more that we're going to have this side of heaven. In fact, God gave John more information about heaven that he was not allowed to share with us. God said, you need to seal this part up. Don't even share it with them. So every, the, one, of the, one of the biblical fallacies is that the Bible is very, very clear that we are not to add to nor take away from the words of this, uh, of this book. Let's look in Revelation chapter 22 for a minute, and let's look at some things here. Revelation chapter 22. We just got done last week with this, and verse number 18. Revelation chapter 22, verse number 18. John writes, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things... God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And so John gives a very clear caution. And while, yes, it is mostly in reference to the book he's just written, the book of Revelation, John certainly applies this truth to all of Scripture. Now I want you to notice also in Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, in Proverbs chapter 30. Let's turn there for a moment, lest we say, well, that's only just referring to the book of Revelation. God gives some other scripture uh, on this matter, so let's take a look at it. Proverbs chapter number 30, and let's look at verse number five. Proverbs chapter 30, verse number five. What's the very first five-letter word we find in verse number five? What is it? Every, every. Word of God. How many words of God? Every word of God. Not some of them, not most of them, not part of them, all of them that we have in this book. Every word of God is what? Pure. It is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. How many of you believe that tonight? I hope we all raise our hands because it's in the Bible. Every word of God is pure. And thou, add thou, notice verse number 6, add thou not unto his words. What words? Every word of God that is pure. Add, not, add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a... You say, are you calling these people a liar? No, I'm not. God is. Now, they may be intentionally doing it, or they may be thoroughly convinced that they saw something, but either way, they need to know the truth of God's Word, that even if they saw something, and we're going to get to that in a little bit, because I believe there are some things that people truly see, but they're not visions of heaven. Even if they have seen something, they need to know enough about Scripture to realize this cannot be heaven. It cannot be the thing that I think it is because it would be contrary to God's Word. Let's look in Deuteronomy chapter number 4. Deuteronomy chapter number 4. The earliest mention of this, 
as God is giving uh, the law uh, to folks. Deuteronomy chapter number 4. And uh, let's look in verse number 2. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So, uh, all the way back from the very beginning when God gave the law, through the Old Testament into Proverbs, all the way to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, we have warning after warning after warning. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. There are some issues here that are very, very big issues when it comes to Scripture. When, we claim, when these folks claim that they've gone to heaven, most of them make the claim that the reason they have come back... By the way, the Bible tells us that in the New Testament, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In fact, uh, let's take a minute to look at that. I think I've got that passage written here. Let me, let me find it for you real quick. Yeah, let's look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's look at this real quick because I want to get this one in tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, and look at verse number uh, 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse number 6. And I've got the wrong, wrong verse written down here, I think. 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Nope, yep, might be, might be 2 Corinthians. If it is, I'll give it to you next week then. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, there we go. Second Corinthians. I'm sorry. I just forgot the Roman. When I was writing the Roman numeral, forgot one. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter number 5. And uh, let's look in verse number 6. Sorry about that. Second Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 6. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing this, whilst we are at home in the body, we are what? Absent from the Lord. So as long as I am in this body, I am not in, at present with the Lord. Now, he also says this, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be what? Present with the Lord. So as long as I'm in the body, I'm absent from the Lord. The only way I can be present with the Lord is if I am absent from this body. I have to leave. Now, you say, okay, that, that makes sense. These people claim to have died and God sent them back. We have no record of that ever in Scripture. In fact, let's take a look at Luke chapter number 16. Luke chapter number 16. My question to that would be this. To what end? Why would God send them back? What, what would be the purpose? Uh, some people say, well, it's because God needs us to do His work or to bring some message back to the people that He did not put in His Word. Those are the only two reasons I've ever heard given. Either God wanted me to tell you this, in which case He is adding to Scripture, is He not? I'm going to tell you something that... Do you know how, how arrogant that is of us? To think that the perfect, holy God, omniscient, omnipotent, that he forgot to put something in this book for us, and he just remembered, and oh, i got to call Jesse up here so he can hurry up and get the message out to the people. That, that's what we're saying by that, aren't we? If we say, hey, God called me up there to give me something new for you that's not found in Scripture, what we're saying is God didn't know enough, he forgot, or he didn't know this was going to happen, so he had to come up with something else, and he wants, to, wants me to now tell you this. How arrogant to think that. Some of them say, and I've heard Jesse DePlantis actually say this, he said that God needs him, that God told him, he said, Jesse, I need you. Can I tell you this? God does not need us. He loves us, and I am grateful that he loves us. But do you know how much we minimize God and his power and his might when we say God needed me to come back? A man by the name of S.M. Lockridge, an old colored preacher from years ago, he got to preaching one day, and I'm going to read to you what he said, and I'll probably end with this. You'll have to bear with me. It'll take a few minutes to get through this. I love, I love what he said here. He said this, The Bible says he is the king of the Jews. He is the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven, the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he is our Lord of lords. Now, that's my king. 
David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. No means of measure can define His limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of His shoreless supply. No barriers can hinder Him from pouring out His blessing. He is enduringly strong, entirely sincere, eternally steadfast, immortally graceful, imperially powerful, impartially merciful. Now that's my King. He's the Son of God. He's the sinner's Savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in Himself. He is, all, he is uh, unique. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is supreme. He is eminent. The loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. The supreme problem in higher criticism. The fundamental doctrine in true theology. He is the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. Now that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call Him. And the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and He saves. He guards and He guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligence. And He beautifies the meek. Do you know Him? My King is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom, the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness, the highway of holiness, the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty, the captain of the conquerors, the head of the heroes, the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors, the prince of princes, and He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now that's my King. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. I wish I could describe Him to you. He is indescribable. He is incomprehensible. He is invincible. He is irresistible. I'm telling you, the heavens of heavens cannot contain Him. Let alone a man explain Him. You cannot get Him out of your mind. You cannot get Him off of your hands. You can't outlive Him, and you can't live without Him. The Pharisees couldn't stand Him. They found out that they couldn't stop Him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in Him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. And Herod couldn't kill Him. Death couldn't handle Him. The grave couldn't hold Him. Now that's my king. He's always been. He always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. Now that's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The glory is all his. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And when you get through with all the forevers, then amen. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. The king of glory. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. The Bible says, Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever and ever. How long is that? That is ever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all the evers, then amen. And he forgot to put something in his book. And he needs me? No. He needs Jesse to plant us? No, he doesn't. He chooses to use us. Oh, the privilege that that is. But rest assured, He doesn't need us. He didn't forget to put something in this book that He needs us to deliver to mankind. He's already given it to us. The only time, the only time that someone from the dead was called back to this earth. was in 1 Samuel chapter 28. I'm going to take just a minute to read this. 1 Samuel chapter 28. 
and verse number 5. And when Saul, this was King Saul of Israel, saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him what? The Lord answered him not. So get the picture here. God's not talking to Saul. So what does Saul do? Neither by dreams nor Urim nor by the prophets. Then said Saul unto his servant, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said unto him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit in Endor, meaning a woman that dealt with the occult, with devils. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me the familiar spirit, and bring me him up, whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life, and cause me to die? And Saul sware to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Who... Shall I, whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. This I find very almost humorous in verse number 12. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. It surprised even her. She did not expect this. Saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art... Uh, 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 cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? So understand this. While the woman can see Samuel, apparently, Saul could not. And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me. Do we see that? And answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, uh, seeing the Lord has departed from me, and is become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done it to him, as he spake by me. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon, the, upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. Meaning, you're going to be dead. The Lord also said, Deliver the host of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. A couple things I want you to note here. First of all, he goes to someone that, that practices witchcraft, the occult, the devils, and calls the spirit of Samuel. Now, understand, there, and I won't go into all the theology of this, and maybe we'll teach on it a little bit more next week and give some reasons why this took place. But Samuel did come to the woman. He does not give Saul a message from the Lord. He reiterates to Saul the message he had already given to Saul. But nowhere in here do you find him saying, God told me to tell you this, Saul. God does not send a human to bring a message from the grave to another human. Look in Luke chapter 16. I think we were there, and I, I moved you off of it, I think. Luke chapter number 16. And God does not use a previous human to come back from the dead to tell tell you other things about eternity. Only one other time was there an issue, and that was with uh, the Mount of Transfiguration where we have Moses and Elijah. But even then, they were not there to come and tell the disciples anything. They were there to minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, when the disciples put their eyes upon them, what happened to them? They disappeared. Because Christ was not going to share His glory. Look with me in Luke chapter number 16. We have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Verse number 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angel into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. 
But Abraham said, Son, remember thou that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, thou art tormented. Beside all this, there between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father. Now notice what his request is. That thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. What was he speaking of here? Was Moses alive at this time? No. Were the prophets that he was referring to alive at this time? No. He was referring to their writings. He was referring to Scripture, was he not? He said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, this is the rich man, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And that is the mindset of a lot of these guys that say, I went to heaven and back. They do it to try to give credibility to their false doctrine message. Boy, if somebody went, to, went out there and came back, there must be some validity can I tell you, there's only been one that has died and risen from the dead, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what Abraham tells him in verse number 31. And he said unto him, If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So my question is this. If they went to heaven and God said, You're coming back, to what end? Because if they won't hear this, they won't listen to them either. So to what end? God would never send someone back saying, if you go back, you'll have more validity to your message, more people will listen to you, because He's already stated in Scripture that won't happen. God did not write a PS to His book because He forgot something. God gave us an entire book. You know what He named it? He named it Revelation. <laughs> you know why? So we would know about things about heaven and the end time events. He doesn't need someone to go there and come back and tell us. He's already written it to us in His Word. It's all we need. I'm going to give you one last verse. Bear with me. We're going to be till 8.30. And I promise you I'll let you out here at 8. 30 or shortly after. I, I know it's late, and I know some of you have to work tomorrow. I promise you I will get you out quick. This is, this is my last reference. I, I just If we do this, I can get you through tonight. All right? 2 Peter, uh, chapter number 1. 2 Peter, chapter number 1. I'm afraid if we wait till next week, we'll forget some of these things, and it won't, the context won't be there. 2 Peter, chapter number 1. And um, uh, let's go back to uh, let's go to um, verse number sixteen. Okay, First Peter one, verse number sixteen. Peter makes this statement. He says, "For we have not followed cunningly devised fables." Now that is uh, an accusation that even today a lot of people make. I was listening to uh, an interview last night uh, by a man who claims to be a devout atheist. And he said, this book that you guys hold, the Bible, is just a bunch of fables. It's a bunch of made-up stories. And that was his thing. And, and Peter makes sure that this man, that, that, that he, he addresses us. He says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, speaking of His earthly ministry, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Now, in a court of law, what is one of the strongest pieces of testimony you can give? An eyewitness account. You know why? Because I was there and I saw it. Peter said, listen, I'm not telling you we were here with cunning fables. We saw these things. What we're telling you were the things that these eyes physically saw the Lord in His glory and in His majesty do. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This happened at the baptism of Jesus. 
And again, uh, later in his ministry, where, Jesus, where God uh, expressed his, his pleasure in his son, and the disciples heard it and saw it take place. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount, at the Mount of Transfiguration. We have also, notice this, a more what? Sure word. What can be more sure than an eyewitness, earwitness account? Notice what he says here. We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. In other words, listen, don't take our eyewitness account. Don't take our hearing account. We have something even more sure than either one of those that you need to take heed to. What is it? As unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, colon there, continuation of the thought, that no prophecy of what? Scripture. Of any private interpretation. What is the more sure word of prophecy? Scripture. It is to be more believed than the eyewitness recollection of Peter. You say, boy, really? Wouldn't an eyewitness account be absolute? Okay, let me ask you a question. We all dismiss here in about an hour, and we go to the end of Frontier Road. And someone starts to pull out, and an accident happens, and we all see it. The police come. They go to each one of us. What did you see? What did you see? What did you see? Can I tell you, I don't know how many we have here tonight, probably 50 or 75, 80, evangelistically speaking. You'd have however many are here tonight, you'd have that many different accounts of what happened. But when the Holy Spirit of God inspired, breathed to these men, Notice what he says, For the prophecy came not in old time, verse 21, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. How can a huge book written over 1,500 years, over 44, 45 different authors that we know about, all work together and be perfect? Because there was a single author. And when you have a single author that is part of the triune God, you can rest assured his account is going to be perfect. It's going to be what Peter refers to here as a more sure word than the apostle's eyewitness or earwitness account. So God does not give us, aside from Scripture, any new revelation in the day we live. You say, well, I've got a friend, and on their deathbed they saw some things. I don't doubt it. I think that you can even see things that are accurate according to Scripture. If your mind has been aware of those truths... I have no doubt that you would see some of those things, imagining them. I understand that they can be medically induced. There are some times that they can be emotionally induced, and I do believe some people see things. And I encourage you in this. They are not a vision from God. Not according to Scripture. They're pleasant. I, I have dreamed of what it's going to be like during the rapture. I've had dreams of that. I did not take them as a vision from God that that's going to be what it is going to be like. I've had dreams of a lot of things about Scripture and end-time events. But that did not mean that I had a vision from God. These gifts that were used to give the revelation that we hold in our hands today ended with John. He's the last one to have any kind of revelation from God, and there is no more. Not that there's not more to be had. That's just all God has chosen to give to us. And He has said it's complete. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. I've had, I've had a number of folks in the last several months, good people, people that should know these things from Scripture, that have come questioning Pastor, I was told this. What are your thoughts? 
did this really happen? I'm not saying they didn't see anything, but what I am saying is it wasn't a vision. It was not a vision. The only other motivation there would be, besides them seeing something either from an emotional standpoint or from a, a medical, mental standpoint, the only other motivation is they're trying to be deceitful and make money or they're trying to get the recognition of how spiritual they are because they've gone to heaven and you haven't. Those are the only other motivations that there could be. So rest assured. Now, the next several weeks, we're, we finish Revelation. There is another study I want to do, and I am working on that, and I've really been praying about when to start it, probably here maybe after Christmas at this point. So, Lord willing, the next several Wednesday nights, we're going to deal with um, some some misunderstood things in Scripture sometimes that even we, uh, if we're not careful, we misunderstand. Things that are misused, taken out of context. I dealt with some of these before. I'm going to add to the list a few of them uh, that I've come across in the last several months. And so we'll deal with a few of those as well in the next several Wednesday nights. I would encourage you, if you can, to come for them. Uh, we want to see what the Bible has to say about them. And so uh, bear with me on that, okay? Folks, thank you all for your patience. I, I rarely ever uh, take this much time. Thank you for staying with us. I, I just felt like we couldn't interrupt this one in the middle of it, okay? All right, let's stand and we dismiss it. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'll guide and direct our hearts and our thoughts. May we, may we understand your truth with grace. And Lord, I understand there are times we can get great comfort from things that we perceive that, uh, Lord, I, I know and I've, uh, I've had dreams. I've had uh, people tell me of their dreams. 